If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 6. Uh, Next Sunday, we're going to start the student small group. So if you have kids from 6th grade to 12th grade, they're going to go to Cool Beans, which is across the square, and they're going to have a small group. And then next Sunday night, they're going to go bowling at Marietta Lanes. They're going to either meet here at 445 or meet at Marietta Lanes at 5. And there's a bribe involved. If you bowl a turkey, you win an iPod. So... If you have students and they know how to bowl, maybe you get out of giving them a Christmas present this year. You send them to that. And we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for the past month. Uh, we started at the end and we said that the most important deal is building your house on the rock. God's looking for people to actually live out His words, not just hear them. That's building your house on the sand. And when stuff comes, if, if you're not actually living this stuff, you're going to be swamped. And we had those journals that we gave out and wanted you kind of tracking how you're actually living on the rock, because we tend to think of ourselves maybe in the best possible light, and so we think we're doing okay, but until we really look at it, we don't know if we are or if we aren't. So we started there, and then we went to the Beatitudes, and we talked about how in God's kingdom, the people who in this world look like losers can actually be winners if they're connected to Jesus, people who mourn, people who are persecuted, folks who tend to be at the back of the line. With the coming of the kingdom, Jesus says, you guys can jump to the front if you're connected to me. And then the past couple of weeks, we've looked at these issues of righteousness. Jesus says that our righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the religious leaders, which we said was how are we supposed to do that because they're pros at keeping the law. So how are we supposed to do better than them when they're experts? And the, the point for Jesus is to push it back into our hearts and say what he's looking for, first of all, is a clean heart. And a clean heart can produce clean actions, but an unclean heart can never produce clean actions. We need a new heart if our righteousness is going to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And then last week we looked at hypocrisy and talked about how we tend to wear masks and we put on a front. And for a lot of us, the front that we put on is that we're good when we're not. We say we're okay when we're really not okay, and that's, that's hypocrisy. And Jesus says, woe to the hypocrites. And we said nobody wants to be on the woe side of the equation from God. That's not a good place to be. And so we talked about how to be real and genuine. And so that kind of brings us to this morning. This is starting in verse 19. Do do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, and that word for bad really means stingy, if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And I was thinking about that, and how does that fit in with what Jesus has said? He's been, we've done the Beatitudes and all this stuff about our hearts and um, doing things so that God rewards us instead of people rewarding us. And then he starts talking about storing up treasure in earth and heaven. It can seem like he's kind of changed gears pretty abruptly, but I don't think so. I think it's the same thing that we talked about last week. Remember last week we talked about these acts of righteousness, prayer, giving, and fasting that the Jews did. Those were their top three religious duties. And Jesus is getting on people who are doing it just so other folks will think they're really holy, righteous people. And he's saying if that's all you're doing it for, if the only reason you're doing these things is so other people think you're a great guy, well, that's all you're going to get out of it is people are going to think you're a great guy. But that stuff doesn't get rewarded by God. It doesn't work this way because you're doing it for just the approval of folks. And that's all you're going to get is the approval of folks. 
it's never going to get up here. And so he builds right on top of that and says, don't store up treasure on earth, store up treasures in heaven. He's saying, do things to be rewarded by God, store up treasures in heaven. Don't do things just so people will think you're a great God. Don't store up treasures on earth. And then he gives a couple of reasons for that, and we're going to look at those real briefly. The first reason he gives is that stuff on earth isn't safe. It's not safe for long. Ultimately, everything on the earth is going to burn. This is Second Peter three ten through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring, excuse me, about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. We've talked about this before. There's a time coming. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right. And part of that is get rid, getting rid of everything that's wrong. That's this burning that you that we see here. It's wiping out everything that stands opposed to God's purposes so his purposes can be fulfilled in the earth. We've said before that when we die, we don't you know, go to heaven as these fat, naked babies with wings and that's what we live on clouds all day. That's not the future for us. It's here. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and he needs people who are going to populate it and that's us and that we're going to live forever with God. We've talked about that before, but the point of all that is what Jesus is saying is, don't put all your stuff in this life because it's all going to burn. The most you're going to get is until you die. So if you're going to live to 100, you can figure out how many years you've got left. That's the longest you're going to get with any of the stuff that's based on this world's system, whether that's money or influence or position or power or status or whatever it is, the stuff that's based in this value system in the earth will all burn. Every bit of it. You get it either until you die or until Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. So what Jesus is saying is don't put your stuff there. That bank is going to fail. And he's telling you it's going to fail. Don't put your stuff there. Because ultimately it's not going to make it through to the next life. I mean, we talked about that last week, that place in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about some people getting into heaven but they're kind of on fire because they're, the stuff that they've done all burns up in passage. They haven't done anything with eternal worth and it, it can't make it into the next life. And so Jesus, as he always does, is always looking out for us and he's saying, for our benefit, put your stuff in heaven. Don't just put it here. These are some, these pictures, these are some numbers. They say, Greg, will you show that first one? Yeah, so I saw, according to Bloomberg, the stock market lost $6 trillion in 2008. Now, like, that, that's, un, we can't get your mind around, that's too big to think about. Six trillion doesn't mean, it might as well be an infinite number. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. So that's how much we lost. So that's stuff here. And I just, I thought of a few things. Should you show that next one? So malaria. Malaria is a terrible disease that affects 350 to 500 million people a year. About a million people a year die due to complications from malaria. Most of them are children in Africa. And there's a UN initiative to eradicate malaria by 2020. And according to these guys who've studied this, and it's the UN, so you know that they're not being conservative with their numbers at all, $72 billion to wipe out malaria. That's it. That little slice of the pie eradicates malaria. We show the next one. Hunger. According to Bread for the World, there's 923 million people who are hungry 
today. Not they missed a meal, desperately hungry. And according to Bread for the World, it would cost $13.1 billion to feed them for the year. So that you can see the little bitty sliver that that would be. We show the next one? Bibles, if you care about this. Um, according to World Christian Trends, it's this big book of statistics about Christianity. There's 500 million literate Christians who don't have a Bible in their heart language. 500 million literate Christians who don't have a Bible in their heart language. And according to the Bible League, it costs $4 to print, ship, and distribute a Bible to these Christians anywhere in the world. So if you do the math, that's $2 billion to get a Bible to every literate Christian in a language that they understand. That doesn't even register on the graph compared to how much money we lost this year. We show that next one? So there's all of them put together. Bibles, malaria, and hunger, I just put those randomly, to fix all of those problems would be 1.5% of what we lost in the stock market just in 2008 alone. That's not saying that you shouldn't invest or any of that. It's just showing the difference. When the banks fail, you want to make sure your stuff's in the right bank. And Jesus is saying, ultimately, everything here is going to burn. So make sure you've got something somewhere else. Make sure you've got something in heaven because that's what's going to last. The second reason, and I thought this was interesting too, Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is. I always thought it was reversed. Where my heart is, my treasure is. I like chinchillas, and so I give money to the National Association of Chinchilla Lovers to, because I love them. So that's, don't you think that? Wherever you're, the things that you like, that's where you give money. But what Jesus says is where your money is, that's where your heart is, which is different. What he's saying is, you've got money in Coke, well, you're following that thing like this, that's where your heart is, because that's where your money is, or whatever. Interesting to me. You can only have one center of gravity. Jesus says you can serve God or you can serve money. You can't serve both. Remember in elementary school when you were studying about the solar system, you've got the sun and all the planets rotate around it. It was nine planets when I was in school. Apparently there's only eight now. I thought that, I, I remember when that happened and thought that should make front page news, that we lost a planet. It was about four pages back in the newspaper, which I never, that seems like a significant event to lose a planet overnight because somebody, whatever. So that has nothing to do with what we're talking about other than what gets on the front page. So you've got this sun and all of these planets revolve around it. What Jesus says is the sun is where your, it's where your treasure is and your heart, your life revolves around it. And you can only have one sun. Your life is going to revolve around mammon, that's another word for money, or God. You can't serve two masters. And so what he's saying is make sure you're putting your stuff in the right place because ultimately your heart, your life, is going to be drawn to where your stuff is. And you know that's true. You think about the things that you care about. A lot of those are things that you've invested in, either money or time, energy. There's something investment that you've made in that. And you know that to be true. So anyway, Jesus says you can't serve God and money. Then he goes on, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I thought this was, again, how is, I'm trying to track with what Jesus is talking about here. So he's saying, don't store up treasures here. Don't do things for people to reward you here. Store up treasures in heaven. Do things for God to reward you. And maybe a natural pushback on that would be to freak out. Well, if I'm not taking care of myself, who's going to take care of me? And notice the things Jesus is talking about here. It's not cable. It's food and clothes and drink. I mean, it's things that you have to have to live. And he's saying, don't worry about it. Your father knows you need them and he will take care of them. Now, this is a little bit of a side note. That doesn't mean you can just lay on the couch all day and expect God to send you money through the mail. You work is what you do. That's how God provides for his people almost without exception is through work. What, again, what Jesus is looking at is he's trying to push in to hearts. And what he's saying is, are you worrying? Yes, you should work. Yes, you should save. Yes, you should plan. All of those things. But what Jesus wants to know is, are you doing those things because you're worried or are you doing those things out of faith? You can, Me and you can be doing the same thing. I'm doing it because I'm worried and you're doing it out of faith and God sees those things completely different. Worry is a sin. It's practical atheism. It means you don't, I don't trust God to take care of something. I don't trust God to be God in some area of my life, so I'm worried about it. Areas where I don't worry, by default, I'm trusting God. There's a, that, there's a faith component there. So you and I can be doing the same thing. I'm doing it out of worry. You're doing it out of faith. I'm not in, a good, I'm not in good shape. You're in great shape. That's what Jesus is pushing at here is what's going on in your heart. Not what are you doing here. What's going on in your heart? Are you worrying? And he uses an interesting expression in verse 30. He says, you of little faith. He uses that five times in Matthew. And every time he talks about his disciples. This, he's not talking about people who are not connected to him on some level. What I'm kind of getting here is it's folks who are Christians, but not they're not kind of all the way in. They have just enough of Jesus to kind of make their lives miserable. They know what they should do, but they, they don't do it. And so there's this constant cycle of sin and defeat and guilt. Those are It's people with little faith. You might remember in Luke 15, there's a story of the prodigal son. There's a, a guy, he's rich, he has two kids, and the younger kid comes to him and says, I want my inheritance, which is incredibly disrespectful. Think about going to your parents who are still alive and say, give me my cut now so I can leave. That's what this kid did. So he goes to his dad, says, I want my stuff. His dad gives it to him. He goes to a far land. The Bible says he squanders his wealth and wild living. You can fill in the blanks there what he did. And at some point he's slopping pigs. And he realizes it would be better to be a slave with, at my dad's house than to be free out here on my own. So he, he works through this apology speech he's going to give. And he starts walking back. And he start, as he's walking down the road home... His father sees him, runs out to meet him, which fathers did not do. You didn't run. You, that was, again, not something that respectful people did. It shows his heart that he was willing to do that. Puts his robe on his son, puts a ring on his finger, which means you're accepted back in the family. And they have this 
deal they cooked a fattened calf, which would have been a meal for the entire village, would have come together. It's like a, it's a neighborhood party because the son that was lost is found. Now, this son has an older brother, and the older brother's out in the field, and he hears all this commotion, and he goes to a servant and says, what's happening? And the servant says, your brother who was lost is, is home, and your father's throwing a party for him, and he's killed a fattened calf. And the older brother gets angry. This is what Jesus says about the older brother. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you, fa- you, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. What you have there is a son who's acting like a servant. He's not living like a son. He's living like a servant and he doesn't get it. He doesn't get the access he has to his father as his son. And it's made him angry. It's thrown him off. I think that is people of little faith. It's those of us in this room who have, who are, we're Christians. We've said yes to Jesus. According to the Bible, when you do that, you're adopted into the family of God. I don't care what, I don't care what you have done. You're adopted into the family of God. Your sins are forgiven. You have the full rights and privileges of a child of God. Romans says you're a co-heir with Christ. Everything Jesus gets, you get. You're one of his brothers or sisters. Full member of the family. You're not a stepchild. You're not, you don't have to sit in the back. God fully welcomes you in. In Ephesians 1, it says that he has chosen us and he predestined us to be adopted. That means before time began, he decided he wanted to adopt you in to his family even though he knew everything you were going to do. He knows everything about you, good, bad, and ugly, and he says, I want you with me as my son or as my daughter. We don't get that. We look at, what, for whatever reason, whether it's fear or guilt or just misunderstanding, we live like servants, and we think we've got to stay outside. We ask for a goat. A goat's 20 cents. God wants to give us a fattened calf, the prime deal that he's got. And we're saying you never even... He doesn't want to give you a goat. He wants to give you a fattened calf. And we miss that completely. To me, that's people of little faith. It's Christians who don't get... We don't get all that God wants to do in our life. We don't realize the full scope of what it means to be a Christian. We think, okay, well, God's going to forgive me and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But you don't realize all the things he wants to do. I don't realize all the things he wants to do in my life now. And so I've cut myself off from all of his resources. Again, it'd be like if you're, it's this guy. Your dad is loaded and you're slopping pigs because you think he doesn't like you very much or he's not going to forgive you for the stuff you've done. Just go home. Just go home. He's waiting for us to come home. In Matthew 17, if, if you are in the end, there's a little coffee cup under your um, seat. Why don't you grab that coffee cup? Every row should have one, or maybe not. If your row doesn't have one, just get one. If Yeah, like they don't have one. Okay. those are Just grab some of those things. Just grab them. They'll be hard to pick up. Those are mustard seeds. You might just stick your finger in there, and the sweat from your finger will stick them. They can be hard to get just one. There's a story in Matthew 17 where Jesus goes up on a mountain, and he's transfigured. He, the, his, three of his disciples see him for who he is as God. And he comes back down this mountain, and there's this ruckus going on. There's a kid who's having seizures, 
And the kid's parents, kid's dad brings him to the disciples and says, can you, can you pray for him? And they do, and nothing works. They, the kid's not getting better. Jesus comes down, and they're like, your, your disciples aren't able to fix this. And Jesus prays for the boy, and he's healed. And he says this in verse 20. He talks about them not having faith. And he says, because you have so... The reason you couldn't heal this boy, drive out this demon, is because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move, nothing will be impossible for you. Greg, we show that picture of that mountain? This is the mountain that Jesus was coming off of. It's Mount Hermon. It's 9,230 feet above sea level. Kennesaw Mountain is 1,800 feet above sea level. Stone Mountain is 1,600 feet above sea level. This is a big mountain. So this is what they see. They're down there in that valley, and he's saying, if you have faith the size of this, if you've got this, you can say to that, move, and it'll move. If you've got this, this much faith, what is in your hand, that mustard seed, then you can say to that mountain, the biggest thing they'd seen, move, and it'll move. Now, I don't have any confidence that I can go to Kennesaw Mountain today and tell that thing to move. But I do wonder how much faith fits in a mustard seed. And that's my, what does it take? How much do I have to have to see stuff happen. And I think the whole point Jesus is making is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous statement. What he's saying, this is the smallest thing you know, and if you've got faith, the, the smallest amount, he's almost saying, he's saying, it's one step above zero. It's not no faith, nothing happens. This is one step above zero. It's a mustard seed. Then you can say to the biggest thing you know to move. What he's illustrating there, I think, is God's willingness to answer prayer. We think God doesn't move because fill in the blank. It has stuff to do with us. I didn't ask right. I didn't pray enough. I sinned last week. Whatever your deal is, that's why God doesn't answer prayer. What Jesus is saying with this picture is, no, he's willing. His hand is not closed, and you've got to pry open these fingers to get what you want. The hand is open, and if you have faith the size of that little bitty mustard seed, you can go and take what you need. God's a good Father, and He will give you what... It's, it's here. He already knows what you need. Jesus says it. He already knows what you need. Go and get it. All it takes is that little bit of faith to engage the Lord. Prayer is when you invite God to move in a situation. What does it take? How much does it take? How much do you got to twist His arm? Do you have to beg? Do you have to plead? Do you have to be righteous for three weeks? What does it take? It takes that. That's all it takes and God will move in your situation. Most of us don't believe that. We're outside. We're asking for a goat. And God's saying, I'll give you a fattened calf. But we don't get it. We have little faith. And so we worry and fret and get anxious about things that there's no reason to worry and fret and get anxious about. Not because the situations aren't real, and not because they're not significant, but because God's going to take care of it. Any of you have ever been around little children, toddlers, they usually don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. They know. They're hungry, there's food in the pantry. They know they're going to be fed. And that's the picture here. You have a good father. He knows everything that you need. And he'll take care of it. This is, the only, this is, all, this is your side of the equation. That much. One step above zero. And he'll move 
in your life. We're going to do something a little different today that we normally don't. Bo, you guys can come back up. We're going to have ministry teams. We have four groups, one in this corner, one in this corner, and then one in each back corner. If that's you, if you'll go there. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I normally don't push this hard, but I'm going to this morning. I think one way that you can express that much faith, that mustard seed of faith, is by asking somebody to pray for whatever it is that's worrying you in your life. That act, going and saying, will you pray with me about whatever it is, and you don't have to give all the bloody details, you can just give a general thing. Doing that is saying, God, I know you can fix this. I'm not going to go to a Buddhist and ask them to pray for me, because I don't think whatever they're working on, I don't think it works for me. I don't think whoever they're talking to is going to make any difference in my life. I've got no faith in that. And if you, if we, just in the act of going to these folks who are set up around the church and doing that and saying, this is my issue, that's an act of faith. That's a mustard seed. That's saying, God, I know that you can work in this situation. You might say, I've tried that. It hadn't worked. Whatever. We'll believe for you. Now, I'll, just, I'll say this. Nobody's going to, nothing funky is going to happen at any of these places. If you don't want people to touch you, they won't touch you. They're not going to wait for you to cry before you can sit down. They're not going to give you advice. They're not going to tell you what to do. None of that is going to happen. You're going to say, I'm worried about hemorrhoids, and they're just going to pray that you wouldn't worry about that, or whatever it is that you've got. You can, that's a big worry for some people. It might have been me, and y'all are all laughing now, so don't I feel good. So you pick whatever it is that concerns you and just and go. We're going to take, I know we're running a little late. If you need to grab your kids and come back in, that's fine. I would really encourage everybody to do this. You don't have to stand in line. We've got several teams lined out. We're going to sing a couple of songs and worship. And just when there's an opening, just go. And just say, this is my worry. They're going to pray, and then you can sit down. So y'all can stand up. I'm going to pray, and then y'all can respond. God, the bottom my heart, Lord, is that the people in this room who are right now are thinking, I don't know about that. God, that they wouldn't have to take my word for it anymore. That you would work in their hearts and lives, and they'd be able to take your word for it that there would be a, you would begin to build a testimony of your goodness and your grace and your love in the hearts of each of us in this room, that we wouldn't have to believe that you're a good father because somebody else said you're a good father. We could believe you're a good father because you've been one to us. So Lord, I pray particularly for those who maybe have never, never shared, never allowed anyone to pray with them, that they'd be willing to roll the dice this morning and give it a shot, and God, that you would move that we can't manipulate those situations, that you would move today, tomorrow, Tuesday, this week, in these situations in a way that we would all say, there's a Father in heaven who's taking care of me. In Jesus' name.